0: Good evening, and welcome, welcome, to another edition of Atlas Live. And uh, we we were planning on being a little cheeky this evening and making you all wait five or ten minutes. Because the topic for tonight is patience. And we thought, wouldn't it be clever? Wouldn't it be clever to make everybody wait five or ten minutes and make them have to actually experience the discomfort and the questioning, the inevitable reactions of the mind? Why isn't, why isn't it, he's always on time. Why is he late? Why is it, was it been canceled? Is something wrong? Is his computer not working? Is his internet not working? What's going on? Why is he late? Why isn't it, why isn't it not going on? You know. But then we thought better of it. We thought, yeah, that's a clever idea. Instead, we felt it more appropriate to. Connect tonight's live stream with Wednesday night's topic, which was about the path to true faith and the path which leads to that place of trust and that place of service. Which leads very nicely to Benjamin's first comment here, which says patients should not have any complaints. But we all know ourselves, and the whole reason why we felt it we felt it important to dive into this topic, was because it relates, again, to the path of faith, the path of trust, and the capacity to surrender, to surrender to the will of one's innermost being, to allow, to accept, to be in a place of acceptance and allowance. That place, that space, is one where very often nothing happens. Anyone who has ever meditated knows meditation is a practice of patience. Apart from everything else, it is a practice of relaxation. It is a practice of concentration. It is a practice of visualization. It is a practice of prayer, of earnestness, of dedication, of all of those things. But perhaps, most of all, it's an exercise in patience. So Roy says, apropos, just like the example the patient and patience is very same similar sounds. We are meditating and patience to hear our innermost being's voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. It requires patience. And not just any old patience. Right? It's it's not the patience of waiting for the bus. It's not the patience of even dealing with a pet or a child, because that's also patience. When you show patience for a person or a being that is testing your patience in terms of they're being annoying, they're being naughty, they're doing something that's disruptive, and it's testing your patience, your tolerance levels your ability to give way give them space so for example giving a child space or giving a a, a puppy or a kitten the space to be a puppy or to be a kitten right we they deserve some leeway they're just a puppy they're just a kitten they don't know any better for example or we have patience towards a loved one we have patience towards someone whom we're trying to teach something. Anyone who has ever tried to teach someone how to drive a manual transmission automobile, for example. It requires great patience. Because that individual, more often than not, is going to stall the vehicle more than they drive the vehicle at the outset. Not everyone takes to it as easily. and teachers of all kinds have to exercise patience. But there is an entirely different level of patience, which we need to be able to cultivate when we're on the path. And to one degree or another, we all know this already. Because we have all felt, to one degree or another, we have all felt being in that darkness, all alone, stuck, neither here nor there, not seemingly going forward. Not going backwards, not going sideways, just stuck. And we can do all of our practices, and we can we can spend our time in meditation. We can spend our time in self self observation. We can read the books. We can listen to lectures. We can. We can do all of those things, and yet, seemingly, get nowhere. Make zero progress, or what appears like zero progress, from our perspective. We can meditate time and again and again and again and again, day after day after day after day, for weeks, for months, for years and seemingly not get anywhere not experience shamadhi not have not awaken in the astral plane we can try to do dream yoga we can we can try to do all of these different practices and again not seem to get anywhere not seem to make any progress and this is, for many, many, many people, a tremendous test and a tremendous challenge, because the ego and the ego mind loves, absolutely loves, to swoop in on what it sees as a target of opportunity. The ego, like a, like a hawk, sees us out in the field, all alone, in the darkness, or like an owl watching a mouse or some other rodent in the darkness, out in the field. And the owl with its perfect 2020 vision in the dark can swoop in and take that nocturnal mouse for a meal and all we need to do is observe ourselves observe our mind observe our emotions observe our physical body as we suffer through the waiting, the stuckness, the apparent lack of progress, the stress, the anxiety, the frustration building up inside of us, the impatience. One of the interesting things about language this way is to be patient but to be impatient right, to be the opposite of that but to to fall into the object of patience to be the patient now the patient is one who's suffering from a disease dis-ease that's what a patient is This is where we start to unpack this word, and its true meaning, and why the level of patience, which is required of us on the path, is infinite patience, infinite patience. And why infinite patience? How infinite patience? Where does one get infinite patience from? Is that even possible? When we practice patience, at our level for example patients with an animal a young animal that we're training uh, a little puppy or a little kitten they're cute they're adorable it's hard to get angry at them at the outset they're so innocent they're they're helpless they're they're innocent they're they're adorable and of course we have a lot of patience for them but we know, we trust, we have faith that this is only a phase. This is only temporary. Yeah, my puppy chewed my favorite pair of shoes, or the kitten dropped the vase off the table, or you know, or the or the puppy peed on the floor, or the kitten puked on my pillow, or whatever the case may be but we say to ourselves this is only a phase they're just they're just a puppy they're just a kitten they'll get over this they'll grow out they'll grow out of this it's just a phase and we put our faith and trust in nature we put our faith and trust in our own experience perhaps this is not our first puppy or our first kitten or we've known other people with puppies and kittens or we just know we just have the intuition and we just know that hey listen this is this comes with the territory. So we have, we, we that knowing gives us the trust, right? We talked about this on Wednesday, how genuine trust, genuine faith is the capacity to bear witness. It comes from experience, it comes from knowing. Faith is not belief. It's not wishful thinking and it's not belief and it's not superstition. That's false faith, that's blind faith. Blind faith is not what we're seeking on the path. We're on the path of Gnosis. We're on the path of self-evident experiential knowledge. We're on the path of uniting with our Immortal Beloved. And developing true faith. Being faithful to our Immortal Beloved. And in that act of faithfulness, The path is revealed to us, and the guidance is given to us, because we have shown ourselves to be faithful. The faithful servant serves their innermost Lord and Master. And we trust, we put our faith and trust in our inner Lord, who is the one who is actually here, walking the path. We are their vessel, we are their vehicle. So, our impatience, with relation to progress on that path, likewise, is directly related and connected to our knowing, our knowledge, our experience. And the trust that arises through our faithfulness. And the knowing that the path that we are on is the path of our higher self. It's our path insofar as our innermost being is who we truly are. But it is not our path to dictate from, where, from our current perspective, from the perspective of this mortal being and this personality. We are... Not in a position to, as Benjamin started us off with tonight, to complain. We have all been in a situation (laughs) where we have leapt into a vehicle. We needed to get somewhere. And we put in the key and we turn the ignition, and the car wouldn't start. Either the battery was dead, or the engine wouldn't turn over, or it was out of gas, or someone had siphoned the gas while we were away from the vehicle, or any number of conditions, any number of circumstances, probably most of us have been in some sort of circumstance where we were in a vehicle that seemingly did not want to cooperate. And it's as if the vehicle had a mind of its own, the vehicle was saying, no, I'm not going, or perhaps you were, you were trying, you were on a, a trail ride and you were on horseback for the first time. And if you've ever been on horseback for the first time, it doesn't matter what instructions you get, that horse is going where it wants to go. (laughs) Uh, Unless you're some kind of, unless you were born some kind of horse whisperer, the first time you're on the back of a horse, uh, this enormous beast, it's going where it wants to go and there's not much you can do about it. And if your car doesn't want to start, your car doesn't want to start. There's not much you can do about it. If the battery's dead, maybe you have a set of jumper cables. Maybe there's another car nearby to give you a a boost. Maybe you can boost the battery and get going. Maybe. If you have a jerry can, maybe you you can get to a gas station and and put gas in it, and maybe you can get going. Maybe. Maybe. But if the circumstances don't allow it, and the car doesn't want to cooperate, it's not going to cooperate. If you have to get somewhere in a hurry, or you're on a deadline, or you have an appointment, this is a circumstance where you can retrospect and look and say, okay, that was a real test of my patience. Because patience really is an expression of allowing to say it is what it is. Something else that allows us to assume that attitude is to say everything happens for a reason. But the reason why we're using this example of the car or the horse and you, the the passenger, the driver, that's trying to get from A to B and the vehicle doesn't cooperate or the horse goes where it wants to go. And it's not listening to you. Because in many ways This is the situation that our innermost being is in. Our innermost being has a vehicle, a vessel. And that vehicle, that vessel, to one degree or another, is disconnected separated. And that vehicle and vessel is uh, infested, infected with gremlins, let's say. Like the gremlins that get into your vehicle or the gremlins that get into your computer or your phone or... And that vehicle, that vessel seems to have a will of its own. That innermost being has things that it would like to accomplish, things that it would like to do, here, now. How cooperative are we, as its vessel, as its vehicle? And how patient must our innermost being be with us? Have you ever even stopped to consider that? How patient with us is our innermost being? Now, if you grew up in a religious upbringing, let's say Christ- Christianity, uh, Christians, Catholics, we are brought up under the belief that Jesus died for our sins and that our sins will be forgiven. And because in Christianity and in Islam and in many other Religions, God is a sort of third-person, impersonal entity out there somewhere. Jesus is out there somewhere. There's not a direct consequence of our actions in relationship to the deity that we worship. So there isn't the same personal responsibility... To a higher power or a higher authority. So it's sort of easy to become a kind of a laxed Catholic, a lax Christian saying, well, you know, there's we, we we don't we don't think about God or Jesus having patience for us. Because it's not like they're waiting with bated breath for us to do this or that or the other thing. It's one of the great criticisms of religion by atheists and cynics and skeptics who say, what kind of God creates humanity to wait around all day waiting to be praised by them and prayed to by them and worshipped by them? Like That doesn't sound like an all-loving God. That sounds like a megalomaniac. That sounds like a narcissistic sociopath, if not psychopath. And if you read the Old Testament literally, boy, it does sound like he's a narcissistic sociopath. But that's because that's a holy, literal, superficial, kindergarten level understanding of our relationship to the divine. We all have an individuated essence of God inside of us, our innermost. The essence, the monad. And that monad, that essence, that, that Atman, our innermost being, our true Self, is here, now, and we are its vessel and its vehicle on Earth. So its ability to achieve its destiny, to do what he came to do, is entirely dependent upon our cooperation, entirely dependent upon our awakening, upon our ability to hear him, to receive, to recognize the work of our Divine Mother. and to serve that destiny, to serve that purpose. So how much patience does your innermost have, and does your Divine Mother have for you? Serendipitously, the following appeared The following appeared on our timeline on Facebook. And it reads, Someone being patient with you is one of the purest forms of love. (laughs) When we backtrack, and reflect on the patience that we might have for a puppy or a kitten of ours how much more patience do we have for a pet which belongs to us than for a pet which belongs to a neighbor or a stranger How much patience do we have for our child versus how much patience do we have for somebody else's children? Our patience increases exponentially with the amount of love which we have for that individual, for that being, who is the object of our patience, to whom we are showing our patience. And love, the source of love, comes from our own innermost being, comes from our own Divine Mother. It flows through us, through our heart. So when we ask the question, how much patience does our innermost being and Divine Mother have for us? Now, we begin to grasp where infinite patience comes from. Because if you have not recognized that wherever you are on the path, no matter what level of being you have achieved, no matter where you are on your path, if you do not recognize the infinite patience of your innermost being and your Divine Mother for you, then you will, you will not succeed in cultivating infinite patience. And the infinite patience, then, like true faith, like trust, comes from knowing ourselves and knowing and uniting and creating that bond, the ties that bind, to bind together with our true self, to allow... Our innermost being and our Divine Mother's infinite patience for us to tap into that, to allow that to flow through us and strengthen us, give us the resilience, give us the endurance, to give us the tolerance, the respect, the space, the relaxation, the courage to endure and to have infinite patience if we allow infinite patience to flow through us what we are cultivating is the bandwidth the connection between our self and our higher self what we are doing is detaching, and unide- and no longer identifying with this worldly patience that we might have waiting for the bus, right? Or we might have uh, waiting for our food at a restaurant. Or that lack of patience we have for, for example, computers, which can which can really try our patience. Technology when technology doesn't work, or when the car that we get into doesn't want to start. Right? We, for when it comes to inanimate objects, we may find we have very little patience for it. Why? Because it's very difficult to love an inanimate object. Well, many people love their car. They have a sort of relationship with their car in that sense they love their car um, and then they feel kind of hurt when their car lets them down but when it comes to certainly computers and whatnot it's very difficult to love the you know technology especially when you throw it out every two or three years to get a new one because it's obsolete right it's disposable it's this that the other thing it's certainly not the same as loving a puppy or a kitten or a ch- or a child Right? We're talking about a completely different level there. And certainly, if you're a good parent, you will have infinite patience for your child. And by that, we don't mean you will tolerate whatever they do and let them have the run of the house. That's not what we mean. Because love is severity and mercy. And even though you have patience, you still, you know, you still rein them in. You might have patience for your puppy, but you're still going to let the puppy know, hey listen, we don't do that. We don't eat shoes in this house. <laughs> Tasty though they may be, my little furry friend, we don't eat shoes in this house. That's something that we don't do. And you will do whatever it is you need to do to teach the ground rules, right? And, and and parent the child, or the dog, or the cat, or well, cats are maybe a little bit of more of a challenge, but you see where we're coming from. There's infinite patience involved when there's love involved. Because that's the source of infinite patience. And w- we cannot deny none of us none of us if we are honest with ourselves now we don't have to berate ourselves this is not an opportunity for us to be hard on ourselves and to come and to and to fall into the trap of shame and self-loathing because the ego is very clever and the ego loves to grab onto truths and then weave elaborate stories around them so when we recognize the infinite patience that our innermost being and our Divine Mother has to have for us in dealing with us and waiting for us to come around, waiting for us to stop eating their shoes, for lack of a better expression, and our and our innermost being and our Divine Mother waiting for us to stop peeing on the floor, or the equivalent, right? Waiting for us to stop putting toxic things into our body or 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 wasting our time with mindless entertainments or or pursuing endless dead end relationships because we're so terrified of being alone and we're so desperate to be with someone or any number or pursuing worldly possessions and worldly wealth or fame or fortune or success or trying to please everybody else around us and trying to be a people pleaser and trying to make our family happy and friends content and etc. It's, it's, it's a whole long laundry list of things, behaviors, and habits and our innermost being and our Divine Mother have been patiently waiting for us to work through all of these egos and their results. Now, like us with the puppy, they've been doing everything in their power to deliver unto us a teaching and trying to shape and mold and teach us to get us to awaken and recognize the error of our ways and trying to show us what it is we need to be focusing on what we need to concentrate on and meditate on to comprehend the cause of our suffering the cause of all these foibles and bad habits and and that keep us on these cycles of repeating circumstances these lessons that seem to repeat over and over and over again in our life. They're very active in doing all of that, but they're showing infinite patience in how many times we have failed those tests and how many times we have fallen back into old patterns and old behaviors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we know this about ourselves. If we're honest with ourselves, we know this. We know this to be true. So, recognizing that, knowing that, feeling into that, and reciprocating that. If our innermost being and Divine Mother show us infinite patience, in dealing with us, and dealing with our bullshit? Well, surely, when we are alone, in the dark, stuck, where nothing's moving, nothing's happening, and we can't seem to make any progress, Surely, surely in those moments, the key is to reciprocate that patience, the infinite patience that our innermost has for us. We want to connect with and experience, to be able to testify, to give our testimony, to give faith, and to trust the process in the same way that they trust our process, that with these thick skulls and these stubborn attitudes and and that we have to fail at the lesson 20 times before we finally get it, we finally wake up and go, oh, so that's what I should be doing. And that process of failure, after failure, after failure, after failure, after failure, after failure, after failure, failure, they trust that our process. Well, surely, surely, when we are, when the tables have turned, And we're sitting around waiting for them. We're waiting for our Divine Mother to move something in our life. We're waiting for our innermost being to give us some guidance, to give us some insight. Well, surely, surely we can reciprocate and bestow upon them and show them the same level of patience that they show us. And what happens when we do that? What is the consequence of being patient with that, with that level of patience? We are bonding and uniting and being the purest form of love. That is what infinite patience is. Waiting for a movie to download on the internet and having the patience to wait for a movie to download on the internet, waiting for the bus to arrive. That's patience. That's human patience. We can all handle that. We've all just just the next time you drive by a Starbucks in the morning, look at the line of cars waiting to get their their frappuccino or their Mochaccino or their caramel chino or whatever chino they're they're getting, right? Whatever 500 600 calorie coffee they need to get going in the morning, there's a huge lineup snake vehicles around that Starbucks in the morning. Okay, that's patience. <laughs> patience for your morning cup of coffee, okay? But that's addiction to coffee, that's not the purest form of love. Nobody loves Starbucks. No, you don't. You don't love Starbucks. You're addicted to Starbucks. There's a difference. (laughs) If you're willing to wait in line, like that line of cars, we think it's hilarious. We think it's absolutely hilarious. that that these people moments earlier were in their own house and rather than brewing their own cup of fresh coffee (laughs) in their own house and adding whatever the hell they want to it because you can get all that stuff all that stuff that makes those cups of coffee what they are at Starbucks you can do all that at home and you can do it in, in, in less than five minutes but no, they'd rather they they have the patience to wait twenty minutes in line in their car in the freezing cold or whatever to, to, to get their to get their Starbucks copy and pay what five ten bucks for it what what's what what do those uh, ridiculous uh, coffees go for so so that's not love and that's certainly not wisdom um so we're not talking about that patience right we 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 have to be able to separate and see and feel the difference. The type of patience that we are after, that we would want to cultivate and connect to and experience, bond with, to bind together, the ties that bind, is the purest form of love. The purest form of love. Severity and mercy. The love of our Divine Mother the Infinite Patience of our innermost being. And once we show the Infinite Patience, once we can reciprocate that, if we can reciprocate that, that means we are communing with it, we are binding to it, now that Patience can flow through us. Now, we can be a vehicle and a vessel of that Infinite Patience. We, in a a very small way, become a vehicle and vessel of the purest form of love this is not to be taken lightly and when and how do we cultivate this When do we get to practice this? When is this tested? When are we tested? When is our ability and capacity to reciprocate the purest form of love? Infinite patience. When we can commune and reciprocate. If we could if you only become a, a, a strong bodybuilder by lifting weights in the gym, or you only become a marathon runner by running running marathons, and you only become an Olympic swimmer by swimming in the pool, then how do you cultivate and reciprocate? and develop the infinite patience of the purest form of love. How can you do it? Except through practice. And when do you feel this? When do you feel the need for this type of patience? more than any other time, especially when you're on the path, especially when you don't have pets, you don't have children. And even if you do, even if you do, it's we're, we're talking about just the purest form, the most intimate Form of love there is the love of the divine mother for us because no matter how much we love that pet, no matter how much we love our children, no matter how much we love our family, our friends, the opportunity to show them infinite patience comes and goes. And it's you know, it's no big deal, right? You know, it's no big deal. The dog peed on the carpet, big deal. You shampoo it up, right? It's no, it's no biggie. When you, when you, when you begin cultivating it, levels of patience become second nature. It just flows naturally through you. So eventually, it's like you're in the gym and you're lifting weights. You're lifting weights. Well, if you keep lifting the same weight, guess what? It becomes super easy. At the beginning, it's hard. But if you lift that weight and you lift that weight, eventually it's going to be super easy. But your muscles aren't going to be getting any bigger. You're not going to be getting any stronger if you keep lifting the same weight. So we're given heavier weights to lift. And we, we hazard, we are willing to bet, we hazard... Our reputation here and now on the line we are willing to bet that everybody in this live stream would agree absolutely nothing tests your patience more than waiting for your waiting for for the divine than waiting for your some some movement on your spiritual path. Waiting for an answer to your prayers. Waiting for the miracle that you're begging and pleading for. Waiting for the breakthrough in your life. Waiting for your soulmate to show up or your twin soul to show up in your life. Waiting for the gnostic teachings to show up you might not even know exactly what you're waiting for you don't know that that's what you're waiting for you just you just you're knowing you're looking everywhere every way shape or form you're looking down every alleyway and everywhere you go you end up in a dead end you're beginning to lose patience you say why can't i why why do i always end up in a dead end why why does everything that i look at and touch and feel and and interact with why does it leave me feeling empty? And we ask that question, why, 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 why is it, why do I have to wait? Why am I out here in the desert? Why am I out here in the desert? No matter what spiritual tradition you immerse yourself in you will find tales of prophets and avatars and saints and masters all of them at one point or another find themselves lost in the desert or lost out on the ocean or lost at yeah lost at sea or lost in the desert it's the same allegory it's the same symbol and we've all been there all of us to one degree or another we have felt lost in the desert and there's only one thing that can get you through the desert. We all know that in a relationship, trust is key. Trust and faithfulness are hand in glove. Without trust, there is no true faith. Without trust, there is no patience. Because what is patience if not trust? If you go to a doctor, you're sick. You go to the hospital. you are the patient and what do you do when you are the patient you have no choice you put your faith and your trust in the doctors in the nurses in the staff in the in the rehab whatever Whatever it is that you are dealing with. You put your life in their hands. You are a patient. In the past few... live streams last week when we were talking about conviction, the courage of conviction, and knowing your path and picking your battles, we referenced the film Hacksaw Ridge. Tonight, we'd like to reference a different film with regards to patience. And the film is called Phantom Thread. It stars Daniel Day-Lewis, and it was uh, an Academy-nominated film. We're not sure. Don't know if it if it won the award, but it certainly it certainly was nominated. And the other uh, actors are I don't know if you can see that Daniel Day Lewis, Leslie Manville, and Vicky Creeps? creeps not sure if we're pronouncing that right, but it's a Paul Thomas Anderson film, so it's the same director who directed There Will Be Blood, and once again, Daniel Day-Lewis plays, we want to say a sort of reprehensible character, like, but he's not as reprehensible as Daniel Plainview was in There Will Be Blood, so he's not... He's not that unlikable. He's quite charming, and he's quite talented. He plays, um, is it Wood, 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 Woodcliffe, Woodhouse, Wood, anyway, the House of Wood, something or other, uh, Fashion House in uh, the early, early to mid, mid-20th century in, in in England, and he is the designer. But one of the things that he lacks is patience. He is an intolerably impatient man. He is meticulous, he is an A-type personality, he loves to control his world, and everything has to be just so, the way he wants it. And when things go awry, when things disturb his safe space, his sanctuary, his comfort zone, the way he likes things to go, like, for example, his daily routine, his morning routine. He shows this intolerable impatience. We'll come back to Phantom Thread in a moment, but Benjamin asks, Was Jesus lost when he was in the wilderness? Yes and no. That might be a most unsatisfying answer. Lost, but not forsaken. Wandering, but not aimlessly. The journey through the desert is necessary. And, the reason why we're bringing up this film, this Phantom Thread, is because this film is an allegory for being lost, and one of the characters... In this film, actually, let's be more clear, two of the characters in this film represent the Divine Mother. Daniel Day-Lewis, his character, he, he has a woman in his life who who loves him and he he loves her but it's it's not it's not a romantic sexual relationship he calls her his old so and so like like they're, like she's closer to him than anybody else, she's practically family, and they they can uh, uh, fight, if fight is the right word, because of course it's all proper upper English, upper crust English way of fighting, so it's not it's disagreements, it's, it's... But it's very much as if they were an old married couple in many ways. And she holds a lot of power and a lot of authority over him, and she will exert that over him. She treats him in many ways as if he was a child. And she was, she's very motherly and nurturing, but it's a unique sort of relationship. And of course, she has to sit by and watch Daniel Day Lewis go through his love affairs because he's determined never to marry. And then he meets. The character of Alma, and Alma is the woman on the cover here, on the um, on the movie poster, and she becomes the his latest infatuation. Now, we don't know how likely it is that you'll watch this film. Um, and whether or not you're worried about spoilers, what they call spoilers. You don't want to spoil your entertainment or spoil your experience. But the character of Alma becomes a force of... She's much younger than Daniel day Lewis's character. Much younger. A little naive, a little rough around the edges. And she becomes a disruptive force in his daily routine, particularly at breakfast, or particularly related to food. Whether it's breakfast or dinner, Alma becomes this disruptive force that she breaks up his routine. And the way that Paul Thomas Anderson films it, he makes it excruciatingly excruciatingly visceral, so that we get to feel Daniel Day Lewis's impatience, his frustration, his we get to feel it. Paul Thomas Anderson brilliantly, brilliantly frames the filmmaking in a cathartic way such that, such that we are identified with this intolerably impatient, narcissistic, self-centered man. We become, we identify and associate with him, regardless of how reprehensible he is, and regardless of how narcissistic and egotistical he is. It doesn't matter. What all great tragic heroes are and should be are amalgams of the audience. That's where the catharsis comes. The cathartic experience only happens if we can put ourselves in the shoes of the tragic hero, of the flawed hero, the hero who is going through this excruciating journey, the hero who is lost in the desert, the desert that he himself has created around him, the desert of the house of Woodcock. I think it's Woodcock. And... It's a it's a barren wasteland. It's barren of life. It's barren of emotion. It's barren of anything that's real. It's all this just this fake puffery of high class fashion in the upper crust British snobbery. Right? It's this it's this this perfection. Yes, this but but it's lifeless. It's heartless. It's soulless. It's barren. It's a desert. And he's wandering and he's lost in it, but he thinks he's the master of the domain. He's the master of desert. He's the king of the desert, but he's lost. In many ways, it's like Lawrence of Arabia, where Lawrence is seeking to be king of the desert and savior of Arabia and savior of the Arabs. And the one who's like this messianic figure who's going to unite the Arabs, but he's lost. He's lost in the desert. Lawrence's and he's going through all these adventures and he's going through all these these sufferings and all these 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 wars and battles because he's seeking he's seeking his well to get out of the desert and Daniel Day-Lewis is also seeking something. He's looking for his soul. He's he's seeking to reconnect to the source of his genius, the source of his art. In other words, the real designer, the divine designer. Excuse me. who's a phantom if you will and haunts the house of woodcock it's, it's it's but it's barren it's a desert it's like a mirage on the desert and then alma enters his life and disrupts everything and and she she's exorcising this demon of impatience and she's and it's coming out of him and this tension between them is happening and then she decides to take matters into her own hands. And she realizes he is far too comfortable and far too successful and far too in control and far too dominant and domineering, far too strong, strong strong-willed and strong-headed to be able to reconnect to his soul, to the divine designer within him, and so she takes steps that weaken him tremendously, They result in a a kind of a collapse. And in that collapse, he has no choice but to turn to her. She, Alma, is the second woman in his life who represents the Divine Mother. And he has no choice but to turn to her, helpless like a baby, curled up in her arms. And she nurses him back to health. And he comes back, strong and renewed and re-energized and creative and he is able to design the, the the a new a new uh dress and a new collection and he's rides a new upwave. That's all we will say about this film. Because it's worthwhile to watch, and it's worthwhile to watch with one's heart, with one's third eye. Not as a piece of entertainment, but as a profound exploration of the psyche, of the soul, of an individual who is learning the patience, the tolerance, the endurance, and the wisdom and the genius of how the Divine Mother gets all of us through the desert. We have our high points and we have our low points. We have those times in the desert when we think we're going to die. And all of us have experienced that. In one, one form or another, all of us have felt that. We have all felt abandoned and lost and, and forsaken And then in in our time of need, we turn to God. We turn to our Divine Mother. We turn to the divine inside of us, to the universe. And we beg and plead for help. We surrender. And one way, shape, or form, we got through whatever it is that we were stuck in or suffering from or dealing with. And probably we had to exert, we had to practice a great deal of patience in the getting over it, in the getting through it, the getting out of it, the crossing of the desert. Crossing deserts takes time, a long time. Moses was, the Israelites and Moses were 40 years in the desert. Jesus' 40 days and 40 nights is an allegory. It's symbolic of 40 years in the desert. We were 40 years in the desert. We're 48 years old now. We've been doing what we've been doing. We've been doing the work of Atlas proper. More or less more or less for eight years we spent 40 years lost in the desert but were we alone were we forsaken was it all terrible no it was high, highs and lows ups and downs and at each step at each every crest every dune over the uh, over the desert every mirage that we ran towards and that evaporated brought us closer to atlas made us more aware more conscious of the interventions of our divine mother excuse me, also made us more allergic. (laughs) Our poor mother was the same. She developed allergies in her 40s and we're the same. What are we going to do? It is what it is. Thank you. (laughs) Benjamin says 40 seems to be an indicator of maturity. It's actually very significant, the age of 42. Our lives are broken up, separated into seven-year chunks. Um, as all things are organized by the Law of Seven, so 42 is a magical number, give or take. And um, if we look back on, uh, for example, we can look to Atlas Information, to our blog, and uh, we can look to, well... Yeah, 2011 was when we wrote and published the article called Return to Innocence, and that was 10 years ago, so we would have been 38. And if we look to, let's say, one of the more important or pin, or pivotal articles on our blog. It's To Herd or Not To Herd, and that was in 2014. Which was what? 12, 13 years ago. So it puts us in that ballpark. 42. So between that 2011 and 2014. There was a transformation and um, transmutation which was taking place with us. But the 40 years in the desert 40 years of practicing tremendous patience. Imagine, imagine being a child of 5 years old and having your first shamadi in meditation. Not even knowing that that's what you were doing. Not even knowing that you were meditating. Just being a child and Closing your eyes and saying, I know something's in there. I know something's in there. I've got to touch it. I've got to reach it. I've got to connect with it. Whatever it is, I know there's something in there. There's something in there. That's all it was. That's 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 all it was. It was as simple as that. And I've got to go deeper and deeper. i got to go deeper. i got to go deeper. And I was squinting. Like, it was forcing my eyes shut. Like, it was a very... It was not a very relaxed, it was relaxed, but it was concentrated, very, very, very focused and concentrated. Like a, like a child would do. Like a child would do trying to tie their shoes for the first time or something like that. Like it was just, or, or, or riding a bicycle for the first time or, or the, something they really, really, really wanted to be able to do. This is something that we really, really, really needed to do. And we experienced our first shamadi at five years old. And then... poof! Nothing. Nothing. No... No... Guidance. No... Experiences. No... We were Cast out into the desert. Sure, we had our Catholic upbringing. Sure, we had the Hungarian church where our parents went in Toronto, and yeah, we were able to be altar boys. And 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 I, and I knelt on the altar. And I'd look up at the cross, and we had a cross. Boy, I tell you, we had a cross, life size, carved out of wood. It was so lifelike. And Jesus was would look right down and look you right in the eyes. And it was like, okay. You I'd look up at that cross and I go, okay, yeah. Okay, I get it. Okay. I and it was like he was staring through my f- soul. And I would look up at him and I'm like, okay, I get it. I would just. I guess other kids look up to Superman and Batman and Spider-Man and what, you know what? Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, they, they never, until the Richard Donner film came around, I have never, you know, I've got a few, I've got a odd comics here and there, but you know, we, I, you know, I watched, I watched the, the cartoons and whatever, just like anybody, but I never looked up to these characters, never identified with any of them. Not really. Because I looked up at Jesus on the cross and I'm like, yeah okay, that I can identify with for whatever reason. I just I don't ask me how don't ask me why if you would have asked me why as a child I couldn't tell you all I knew is that Jesus looked down from the cross and he looked straight through my soul and I was able to go back to that experience that I had. my first in at the age of 5 and i just knew i just knew and i also knew that what the priest and what everybody else was saying about that fellow on the cross was not exactly how it was and i also knew that i didn't believe any, that i didn't believe any of it what the Catholic Church was spewing, because I knew, I knew, I knew this man, I knew this being that was looking through my soul from up there on the cross. And I had felt him, I had touched it when I had that shamadi at the age of five. I knew he called me within myself into that place, into that darkness. But now I was in that darkness and i was on my own alone in the dark waiting and so really all i was doing was going through the motions going through school doing good on tests doing good on exams you know trying to please my family trying to you know make friends trying to do you know all that all the usual stuff i was going through the motions going through the motions going through the motions My entire life was waiting, and believe me, out in the desert, do you know how many mirages I chased down? Maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. That that, that thing over the horizon. Maybe that's the sign. Maybe this is what I've been waiting for all my life. This is it. This is my mission. This is my purpose. And I would run and run and run and put all my energy and all my intensity and all my effort and concentration and focus into that thing on the horizon. And then when I got to the, then I got to where it was, poof! It evaporated. It was gone. I was back in the desert. And then very soon after, something else would appear. And something drove me towards it. And what drove me but my faith? But remember, my faith didn't come from a book. My faith didn't come from the church. In fact, when I was in high school, I essentially became an atheist. I rebelled against Catholicism, I rebelled against religion, I rebelled against all belief. And I said, that's not what faith is. I know what real faith is because I've experienced it. Real faith is knowing real spirituality, real religion is connecting, uniting, bonding, experiencing, living from that place. And the faith that you develop, the infinite patience that you develop, comes from that bond, that connection, that link. Now, I was very lucky in that sense, because I had had my experience as a child. But, when you're 15 years old, and the only experience like that you've ever had was 10 years ago. It's now just a distant, distant memory. Just a... But the knowing was still there. The memory of the shamadi was faint. But the knowing was still there. And the faith and the trust fed the infinite patience that one day, someday I will be fulfilling my destiny. And until then it's my job to keep my eyes open and keep my options open and follow the path, where follow whatever signs are presented to me as a potential and that's what i did and that's why and i followed my heart and each and every time my heart led me down a path to a mirage that poof vanished before my before my eyes In other words, in my lifetime, in the desert, for 40 years, I had to live through countless tests of faith. And of course, each each time, each avenue, each mirage, I gave myself 150% because this could be the one this could be the one now that last one that was just preparing me for the next for the next one this this could be the one now and yet each and every time i ran to those mirages there's something that i gained or something that i lost every single experience was valuable in some way despite the fact that it was a failure it was all part of the process it was all part of the school of life real education the education of my innermost being and divine mother preparing me for the work that we are now here doing. It wasn't, it wasn't until we made it to Japan, when we can say, and it's safe to say this, every time we are lost in the desert. One of the things that deserts are known for are oases. Love is severity and mercy. And in the desert, there are oases. And occasionally, we will receive a kind of boon, a blessing. Uh, a mercy, a sanctuary. Yeah, an oasis in the desert. I mean, it's straightforward. We we think it's straightforward. We hope it's straightforward. And for us, that was our year spent in Japan. It was really only nine months. Barely nine months, ten months in Japan. <clears throat> but... those 10 months were a miracle. They were miraculous. By this point, we had developed the capacity to follow our intuition, follow the guidance of our innermost being. And we, for example, the guidance that brought us to Japan in the first place. And we just knew, when we saw the ad in the paper, that we have to apply to this. We applied to it, two weeks later we were in toronto going through the interview process two weeks after that we were in toronto doing our initial training and two or three weeks after that we were landing in japan it was so it was such a boom 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 fast process it was like just precipitous it just as if it were as if we can't even describe what it was like and And we stepped off the train in Uji, which is a little town. Town, it's a city, but by Japanese standards, it's a it's a town. And it's on the last stop of a branch line of the Keihan line, which runs between Kyoto and Osaka. So it's this little branch line that comes and ends. In this little town that's nestled between two mountains ranges with a river in the bottom and we stepped out of the train station we walked out with our pulling our luggage behind us and we and we 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 took in the walking bridge and there's an island in the middle of the river with a 13-tier stone pagoda there's Uji temple and Uji shrine and the mountain the forested mountain going up on this side and then Uji, uh, the, the, the town of Uji on the other side. And, and, and high above the river was a family of hawks fishing. And in the river was a fellow with hip waders fishing. And he was fishing in down in the river, and high above him was a family of hawks fishing. And every fiber, every molecule, every atom of our being let out a simultaneous sigh of relief and spoke to us and said, we're home. It's the second shamadi in our life. It happened not in meditation, but stepping off the train in Uji, Japan. We had our second shamadi. We were 25 years old. 20 years 20 years after our first shamadi. Two decades, we waited patiently and obeyed and followed and did the best we could until eventually we were led to Japan. And there we had not just our second shamadi, but I won't say countless shamadis because we don't want to make it sound like it was some sort of mundane, regular occurrence. But certainly, our time in Japan was an oasis of spiritual oneness, connectedness. For starters, that moment, that shamadi immediately gave us a knowledge of. What at that time we were still calling reincarnation that experience of stepping off the train and and knowing that we were home we knew that we had lived here before and what's more (coughs) pardon me what's more we knew that this was our spiritual home We knew that in Uji, Japan, at some time in the past, we attained enlightenment. This was our spiritual home. This is where we first, or perhaps not first, perhaps just most recently, walked the path. And everything in japan and everything was so familiar to us it was like it was literally we were home we we had never felt so comfortable so fish in water in this world than we did in the 10 months that we were in japan and the spiritual experiences that we had there some extraordinarily beautiful some unbelievably you know almost fantastical in their in their in the in the epicness of them others utterly frightening utterly utterly groundbreakingly world-shakingly sobering completely shattered many, many, many concepts that we had uh, developed over those 20 years. But regardless, it was an oasis which we eventually had to leave. Because if you are crossing the desert, yes you come across an oasis and it's the oasis is beautiful it's a little garden of eden but you see if you forget yourself if you become enamored with the oasis and you remain there then you forget you 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 abandon your Purpose, your mission, which is to cross the desert, as Moses did, as Jesus did. Moses crossed Sinai. He didn't go halfway across Sinai, find a nice oasis, and say, okay, let's 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 uh, let's settle down here. No. Neither did Lawrence of Arabia, neither does anybody who crossed, crosses the desert and comes across an oasis. It's a boon, it's a blessing, it's a sanctuary, it's a reprieve. It's all those things. It's an island. It is what it is. It is an oasis. But if your purpose is to get to the other side of the desert, then you must eventually let that oasis go. But there's something else that happens in the oasis. And this is of course allegorized in the story of jesus in the desert when the devil shows up and tempts tempts jesus and he shows him the whole he takes him to the top of a mountain and he says behold The whole world I give unto you. I will make you the ruler, the king of the world, if only you bow down to me. That's what Jesus, that's what uh, Satan says to Jesus. Jesus, who of course was born to be the master of masters on this planet, the king of kings, So what must he had had known? And according to Muslim tradition and Christian tradition and some Jewish traditions, Jesus was born of the same bloodline as David. So Jesus was born of royal blood. Imagine the patience that one has to have to resist that kind of temptation. When one knows one is here to be the king of kings. When one knows one is born of royal bloodline. One knows these things about oneself. And then someone comes along and then offers you On a silver platter That which you know you're destined to have some relationship to You know how hard it is out there in the desert You've been wandering in the desert for how many years already? And then someone comes along and offers you on a silver platter, and this oasis is usually in the midpoint of the des- in the uh, of, in the desert. In our experience, I don't know if we've told you the story before, but our moment, we were tempted. twice in different ways. But the second time was... The first time was an earth-shattering revelation more than anything. It wasn't so much a temptation. There was a temptation there, but it was an earth-shattering revelation that was timed, bottled up with it. The second time was the one that we equate more substantially to the allegory of Jesus in the desert, because... It was when we were, it was when we made the decision to leave Japan, to, to return to Canada. Our uh, brother was getting married and we should have stayed um, until August for at, at least one year was our contract. So we should have had to stay until August, but our brother was getting married in June and so we made the decision that we're not gonna go home for his wedding in June and then come back to Japan for two months and then go back to Canada again. it like that didn't make much sense, especially with the cost of flights and everything else because we had already decided that you know enough was enough. We had came. we come to Japan. We had experienced what we needed to experience. We had remembered what we needed to remember. Now it was time to to, to move on. The wait. We had spent our time in the the oasis. Now it was time to move on. But we had a, a Japanese girlfriend, and this Japanese girlfriend was introduced to us by her mother, who was one of our students, and. She came and wanted English lessons. That's what we were doing. We are teaching English, by the way. And she would come for English lessons because she had a a cram school, which is a private school, an after-school school school where students would go and she introduced us to her daughter and we started dating her daughter. So when it came time to leave Japan, breaking up with her daughter was relatively, relatively uneventful. But breaking up with her mother, that's where it got tricky, because she had introduced us. She really, 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 really wanted us to marry her daughter. She really liked us, in other words. I mean, she set us up with her own daughter. And when we told her that we're going back to Canada because our brother's getting married and we're not coming back to Japan, she very politely looked at us and went, oh, hmm. No, you will go to Canada and you will, you will go to your brother's wedding because that's the right thing to do. And, but then you will come back to Japan And you're right, you will end end your contract with your company. You'll only work for them until August. But then, you'll come and work for me in my school, in my private school. I have already spoken to all your students, and they've all agreed that they will follow you to keep you as their teacher. And they'll come to my school, and you will remain their teacher, and you will teach English in my school. And you will learn fluent Japanese, you will marry Naori, and I will teach you the business. And then you and Naori will have children, and in ten years' time, fifteen years' time, I will retire, and you will inherit the school. And the school will be yours and Naori's. Naori was her was her daughter. <laughs> And there it was, laid out for me on a silver platter. have a a beautiful Japanese wife, an adoring Japanese mother-in-law, the opportunity to teach my own school, an established school in the country that I loved, in the country that I was absolutely most comfortable in than anywhere else I've ever been in, in this lifetime. In, in, in my spiritual home in Uji, Japan, in the spiritual heart of Japan, for that matter. And there it was, all laid out for me on a silver platter, my entire life. And in that instant, in that moment, what came into my mind was Jesus on the mountain in the desert, and Satan telling him, "All this can be yours if only you." Yeah, okay, Benjamin. There you go. It's Martin Scorsese's uh, uh, interpretation of of Jesus's life and and and. The temptation, but yeah, just listening to me tell the story, you got the same vibes that, but we felt that so profoundly. And listen, Akiko, like, um, you know, our divine mother, she's so brilliant and so careful and so genius. And helping us, and making sure we got it. Akigo is wearing this bright red dress. This like, and her hair was back, and she had like th- these these clips in her hair. Like she was a lovely, lovely, lovely woman. Don't get me wrong. She was absolutely lovely, charming, intelligent woman. But in that moment. And the way she presented it was, was, and the way she looked, and everything about, our Divine Mother left nothing to chance. Okay, she said, like, "You're he, you're going to get this. And the still soft voice, and the intuition was there, and the visual, and it just came to us like in our mind, aha, here's the rub. Here's where the rubber meets the road. This is your moment. This is your moment. And this conversation went on for hours with Akiko. It seemed to go on forever. She did not want to take no for an answer. And remember, we're like 25 years old like what like what the hell did we know like like we were just you know we were no one we were nothing we were just we were just so green and yet she and she and, and I said listen Akiko I I'm so honored I'm so humbled that you would you know that you would think of me or that you would imagine and bestow upon me this great honor that you would not only give me your daughter's hand in marriage but you you would you would you would foresee you know, making me responsible for, for, for your family business and everything. Like, you know, I I tried to be so, you know, uh, polite in the Japanese way. But I told her, I said, but Akiko, I'm, you know, teaching is all well and good, but but that's not what I was born to do. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm here for more than that. In my heart, I, I, I know that I'm here for more than that. And she said, but, but she said, but teaching is a very noble profession. And I said, yes, yes, Akiko-san, teaching is a very noble profession. But I'm not here to teach English to Japanese people. That's not what I'm here to teach. 25 years old. And that's... the words just came out of me. At this point in my life, I knew nothing about Gnosis. I had never even heard the term before. And I wouldn't hear the term for another 10 years. But here I was in the oasis up on the mountain being tempted by Satan <laughs> and it would take another 10 years before I would know why. and even then even then even then I wouldn't really know why. I it, it was just another it was it, gnosis when when gnosis came to us gnosis was just another Mirage. On the horizon but being lost in the desert right those mirages are being put there by our divine mother they're being put there for a reason those mirages are what are guiding us through the desert So when we talk about patience, when we would talk about infinite patience, the patience that we have to have, we have to cultivate, we have to practice. We get really good at it. We really get really good at being patient after decades of waiting and after decades of trying, and after decades of searching, to no avail, or what appears to be no avail. But it's all part of the process. As above, so below. Because our innermost being is going through initiations in the supernal worlds. This is what most people do not understand and have no concept of whatsoever. Zero. They think that their true self has nothing else to do but to focus on them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it isn't so. Our innermost being, your innermost being, mine, everyone's, is studying and practicing and going through their own trials and tribulations. They're going through their own initiations. They're having to go to temples. They're having to study with masters. They're having to undergo rituals and rites. They're called initiations. And as that happens in the internal worlds, that's when we go through ordeals and tests here in the physical world. As above, so below. And very often our ability To perform and succeed and and overcome a test, a trial or ordeal, or ordeal here is dependent upon the guidance and the wisdom and the knowledge that we can gain from within. So in other words, our performance down here is often dependent upon our innermost performance in the supernal worlds. And sometimes they have to repeat the same initiation a second time or a third time. Which means, sometimes, we have to go through the same thing in different forms two or three times. In the same way that sometimes we fail. And when we fail, we don't hold up our end of the bargain. We don't hold up, we don't succeed down here. Our innermost being has to do the same initiation again up there. And we have to go through the same test and trial down here again because we failed it. The patience that they have for us, we have to have for them. Because it's the same patience. And if we don't develop that patience, and if we're stuck, and if we feel going nowhere, and it's been two years, three years, five years, of all we've been able to do is read, and all we've been able to do is meditate, or all we've been able to do is do pranayamas, and and go on Facebook, and discuss, and whatever, and do... Well, then, so be it. And we hope, we hope that sharing our experience with you, our life experience with you, will help contextualize and legitimize our advice, so that the voices in your head which want to say, well that's easy for you to say, have patience. It's easy for you to say, no, it's not easy for, for us to say. At least it wasn't easy for us to say for 40 years literally 40 years it wasn't so easy we didn't we weren't so patient we didn't know how important patience was we had to learn the hard way We had to develop that patience, and we had to learn through the experience to the point where we were waiting for the inspiration for tonight's live stream. And it didn't come on Wednesday, and it didn't come on Thursday, and it didn't come this morning. And we had to be patient, we had to be patient. Finally, it dawned on us as we were saying to ourselves, Well, we have to be patient. We have to be patient. Hey, that's right. We have to be patient. There it is. There's the answer. We have to be patient. That's what we need. That's what the live stream is about. And five minutes later, this pops up on Facebook. That's the power of patience. Roy said way back uh, here. Roy said, Everyone has its time, so we need to be patient. Nothing happens before it's time. What's the point? We have to strike while the iron is hot. And this brings us to some of these questions about patience. Is it possible that the delay that we're experiencing is serving us? Almost invariably, that is the case. And if we allow our, our desires, our beliefs, our concepts, but I want things to get moving, I need things to happen, I need. trust us, we're almost 50 years old. We're almost 50 years old. We live below the poverty line. We have no worldly success to show for the 40 years we spent walking in the desert. We're still in that desert from a worldly perspective, from the perspective of family, of friends, loved ones, people who care about us, who who are not on the path or not able to process where we're coming from and how we live our life. All they see is talk. All they, they hear is talk. They don't, they can't process on the level that we're at so for all intents and purposes we have nothing to show for all this time and all this effort and all this sacrifice and suffering and being in the desert so we're still from their standpoint we're still lost in the in the desert But when we consider the work that we're here to do, the Atlas Project, the work that we're doing now, this too, this moment here and now is preparation. This moment here and now is practice for us. What are we practicing? Exactly. The purest form of love. That's what. To be able to sit moment to moment with you, not knowing what we're going to say next. Literally. I don't know. From one moment to the the next, I don't know what I'm going to be saying. And sometimes, I have to wait. But I know, I trust, I have faith, I'm not going to be left hanging, that you all are not going to be left hanging, I trust and I have faith based on my experience. And the more we do these live streams, the more new information comes through. And our life, our 40 years in the desert, was tonight, for us, put into a completely new and different context than ever before. For your sake. And for ours. And for mine. Because they say hindsight is twenty twenty. And now when we start putting the pieces of the puzzle together, I can see now why all that time spent in the desert was necessary and all those chasing down mirages and everything else that we, that we described helped to get us to the point where we're at now, where we can share all of this with you and not only state the obvious that patience is a virtue and that infinite patience comes from our innermost so to have it, possess it and share it and express it and reciprocate it is an act of binding together with, participating communing with our innermost being and that We can affirm for you, with our own life experience, decades worth of practice and decades worth of experience of the development and the honing and the deepening of that patience, that purest form of love, which we have Not only for our innermost, not only for ourselves, not only for our family, but for humanity. And even though sometimes it may seem like we're very impatient with humanity, because we have very low tolerance for egos, and low tolerance for ignorance, and low tolerance for hypnosis, and for the New Agers, and the False Prophets, and the False Gurus, and the covidiacy and all the rest of it. It might seem like we have no patience for it. As we stated, love is severity and mercy. And one can still have patience and still have tolerance and still have acceptance while speaking the truth while calling a spade a spade and while doing one's work and one's effort to educate and to guide and plant seeds and awaken water those seeds nurture those seeds till the soil and if the soil is hard and and needs to be tilled it needs to be broken it needs to be cracked open well then sometimes that might seem like impatience that might see, that might appear as intolerance. But tough love is still love. And tough love requires more patience. Because you're spending the time and energy and effort on what somebody else might call call a lost cause. It's a very fine line, there's that expression, do not cast pearls before swine. It's a very fine line, and sometimes we, we, uh, dance on that line. But as we said before, there's a lyric from a Queen and David Bowie song. Love's such an old-fashioned word, but love dares you to care for the people, the edge of the night, on the edge of the darkness. And uh, at at times that, that calls for, well... purest form of love, severity and mercy, and infinite patience, infinite patience. This week, we've spent probably close to eight hours on the phone, on messenger, with individuals in need. One of them experienced a sort of, well, individuals who turned to us for guidance, for help. if And if nothing else, just a, a pair of understanding ears, an individual who they experienced something and they said there's only one person in the world that i can talk to about this and they turned to us and they said listen i'm begging you um, if if you if you have the time i be- i i need to talk to somebody you're the only person that i can think of that i can talk to about this that was a four and a half hour conversation And we went into that conversation with no expectations. And that individual left that conversation every bit as troubled as he did when, he, when, he, when we started out. But he had had the opportunity to get a great many things off his chest that were that were, that were weighing him down and, and, and he, was, he was carrying this tremendous burden. He had so much he needed to get off of his chest. But it was, it was of a nature that that was... On topics and at levels that he knew that there's nobody else that he could turn to who could, who could reasonably listen to him and really listen to him without any judgment and without any expectation and without any need to correct him or fix him or... You know, just, he just needed somebody to talk to. And he's in so deep and, and sometimes patience is just that. When people have to go through something and we just have to be there, stand by and be there for them as they go through their process. That is the infinite patience that our Divine Mother has for us. That is the infinite patience that we need to reciprocate for our innermost being and all the initiations that he has to undergo in the supernal worlds. And the infinite patience that we have to have for our own tests and trials and tribulations that we must go through here, as above, so below. And the infinite patience that we owe ourselves are flawed and fallen cells asleep haunted by egos trapped in conditions in conditioned behaviors trapped in bad habits trapped in in negative patterns we're creatures of habit trapped in our animal desires and our passions and our foibles and our defects and our vices as we are. We too deserve to be the objects of the purest form of love. That is the love that we need from ourselves. Not the love of mystic pride. Not the love of narcissism. Not... Loving ourselves too much. Not saying, I love myself just the way I am. Because I'm so great, and I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm a God already, and I'm awakened, and I'm one with the universe, and I'm, I, 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 I. Infinite patience, the purest form of love, is seeing ourselves as we are. Flaws and all. And not loving ourselves because of the flaws, loving ourselves in spite of the flaws. Loving ourselves and recognizing that Everyone has a process. Everyone has a journey. And the journey of the three mountains is overcoming precisely those egos that we have. That we, if we didn't have those egos, we wouldn't have a journey of the three mountains. So we cannot afford to hate ourselves. We cannot afford to fall into the trap of self-loathing. We cannot afford to fall into the trap of shame. All of that. All of that are expressions of impatience. Impatience with ourself. Why can't I project into the astral plane? Why can't I achieve shamadi? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? All my friends are having shamadis. All my friends are having experiences in the astral plane. Why can't I do it? I must not be good enough. I must not be spiritual. And I must be holy enough. Quick, let's go drop some acid. Let's go smoke some mushrooms. Let's go do some DMT. That's impatience. That's what leads people down those paths. That's impatience, impatience with oneself, impatience with one's higher self and divine mother. They think I want enlightenment now, damn it. I want to experience the universe now. I want I want spiritual experiences every time that I want them. These are the same people that are willing to stand in line for hours at an amusement park to go on a ride. Or they camp out overnight outside of an Apple store to get the latest iPhone. But that patience is not the patience of their innermost being. That's not the patience of their divine mother. They don't have infinite patience. <clears throat> they have the patience of a <clears throat> hungry wolf who's a beta or a gamma, or a a delta in the pack, who has the patience to wait his turn to wait his turn for the carcass, to wait his turn for his share of the spoils. Does that sound like infinite patience to you? Does that sound like the patience of the Divine Mother, or the patience of mechanical nature? Someone willing to wait in line for an amusement park ride. Someone waiting, camped out in front of an Apple store for a phone. But when it comes to spiritual awakening, when it comes to spiritual experience, do they have the patience to wait? Do they have the patience to do the work? No. Nope. Let's go get the psychedelics. And that might sound like we have no patience for them. That we have no patience for such individuals. But... We spend a great deal of time reaching out to those people. We spend a great deal of time and effort. We do our best and we plant the seeds of truth with them. Knowing full well that we are really just scattering seeds on dry, hard, packed, clay like dirt, and that very few of those seeds are ever gonna germinate and ever gonna give rise, ever gonna sprout into anything meaningful. That most of the people that we reach out to are set in their ways, they are hypnotized and in some cases hopelessly asleep, even as they believe themselves to be awake, even as they believe themselves to be traveling the cosmos, even as they believe themselves to be eliminating their ego, that they are just doubling down and falling prey to subjectivity and falling deeper into mystic pride and falling deeper and deeper into the lunar astral plane, deeper and deeper into hell, which they believe is heaven, Because that's the matrix, right? That's how the matrix works. The most effective prison in the world is the one that has no bars and no wires and no guard towers. The most effective prison in the world is the one that people are clamoring to get into. And they cannot wait to get into. In other words, impatience... will only lead you into hell if you are impatient in meditation you will never achieve shamadhi if you desire shamadhi it will be it will be kept from you if that's all you can think about in Shema, in, when you meditate or if, you, if all you're concerned about is having spiritual experiences then you've missed the point those experiences will be will be withheld from you which invariably is what leads these people to go down the path of psychedelics and taking a psychedelic once or twice for someone who needs some sort of experience in the internal worlds to get them to realize that there's a, there's a greater universe out there than the one that they believed, maybe an ayahuasca experience or some other experience on psychedelics will get them on the on-ramp to do meditation and to do the work and do the practice. But you see many people who take psychedelics on an ongoing basis. Because they want... they're impatient. They want a quick and easy path. But they don't realize that you cannot get to heaven... by walking a path of impatience. It's impossible. Because as we know... This... If the purest form of love is patience how does the antithesis of patience get you to oneness with the source of the purest form of love and how does subjectivity how do how do substances and subjectivity which you've taken because of impatience get you to the experience of oneness and bound together with the purest form of love and the patience, which is the epitome of that. When in the case of some individuals such as ourselves, it takes 40 years to develop that patience and to develop that relationship and develop that connection. 40 years lost in the desert. You're telling me that you're going to do all of that and gain all of that experience and all of that self-evident experiential knowledge and develop that patience and develop that relationship with your innermost being and your Divine Mother by smoking some plants? It's beliefs like that That don't deserve our patience. The individuals who have fallen into the the trap, okay, they've been duped. They've fallen into a trap. They've fallen into a trap. They deserve help and compassion to get out of the trap. But we're not gonna sit here and condone the belief because it is absurd. It is absurd. It is the same thinking that the individuals in the gyms shooting up with testosterone and other uh, uh, performance-enhancing drugs... To get big muscles. Same thing. What other people spent 10, 15, 20 years doing, they're going to do in 18 months. (laughs) By taking steroids. By taking growth hormones. By taking horse... Testosterone and and God only knows what else they shoot up with. And you see these people as they get older, you see the effects of these steroids. If they get off the steroids, you see what happens to them someone who builds their muscle naturally they can maintain that muscle to one degree or another all the way into their 50s and 60s someone who's who built their muscle taking steroids if they get off those steroids those muscles deflate like balloons and they're left with with it's 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 horrific. It's no different with psychedelics. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Patience is a virtue. And it is the virtue. The courage to go out into the desert. The courage to chase down another mirage with all your intensity, with all your heart, with all your soul. Because this might be the mirage that, number one, leads to an oasis. This might actually be a real oasis to be a boon, a blessing, a miracle from your Divine Mother to give you a reprieve from the the, desolation of the desert as it was for us or it could just be another test another trial another ordeal another opportunity to learn another opportunity to grow another opportunity to die psychologically opportunity to shed another ego as we travel through the desert of initiation to travel through the desert of preparation of training of struggle of suffering of sacrifice of hardship that that gives us the muscles that gives us the physique the metaphysical physique that's required to to take on the role our destiny of a lifetime to do what we came here to do, to fulfill our obligation, our role to be and become who we were born to be and to do what we were meant to do. We're talking about life's work here and life's journeys here. We're talking about things that are measured in decades. Stories that are measured in decades. And so patience. Patience is the key. And the patience we need must be infinite in nature. As is the purest form of love, the source of love inside of us. As we develop one, we develop the other, we become more and more connected. Because as we, as we draw upon that infinite patience within ourselves, we draw forth from within ourselves our true self, and the influence of our true self, and the strength, and the force, and the intensity, and the love, the compassion, the wisdom, the knowledge, The ability to be and act in the moment. Patience is a superpower. And it is precisely patience which atrophies and is abandoned and forgotten and, and forsaken by all those who seek a quick and easy road, a silver bullet, a magic pill, the magic beans that's going to take them up into the clouds where they're going to get their hands on the golden goose. Watch Lawrence of Arabia. Watch Phantom Thread. Watch Dune. Although, to be fair, the the in-the-desert part is going to be coming in the second part of Dune. So maybe watch the original Dune from 1984, whatever it was. The uh, David Lynch Dune. There's many films of, of individuals in the desert, but Phantom Thread is beautiful because we get to see the interaction of the Divine Mother, and it's so intimate. And even though it's not a desert, you will get you will feel the desert, the the emotional desert, the spiritual desert, in the setting of the House of Woodcock. You, you will you will, and and you will viscerally not only f- feel. you will be drawn into and you will have an experience a cathartic experience as you witness the lengths to which the divine mother will go to to subject us to suffering and sacrifice and pain and hardship and discomfort in order to Exorcise our impatience and teach us what infinite patience is by showing us the resolve that the Divine Mother has, the courage that she has. It takes tremendous patience, and tremendous courage, and faith, and temperance, and so many different virtues to be able to properly, and correctly, appropriately, compassionately apply tough love. It's a razor's edge. It's a tremendous balancing act. It's like a doctor who applies just enough medicine to kill the parasite. But not so much that to poison the patient. It's this, this razor's edge. And the experience of that. We've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been on the receiving end of these lessons. And Phantom Thread brilliantly it's a slow burn. There are no explosions, there are no car chases. So you have to watch it awake and consciously. Otherwise, if you just watch this with your ego, you might be bored to tears. But if you watch it with your heart and your third eye, and if you and if you allow yourself to be drawn into and to say Daniel Day-Lewis' character, I see my own impatience in him. I feel his impatience as my impatience. And if you allow yourself to identify and connect with that character as an amalgam of yourself, lost in the desert, desperately trying To control your comfort and security and along comes this disruptive force of the divine feminine and then she she takes control of your little world and the winds of change blow a sandstorm across the desert and you find yourself choking and on the brink of death only to be saved and brought back from the brink by the Divine Mother herself. So yes, we we recommend that. That uh, you find that that film online or on on a streaming service or uh, rent it on Google or however you can find a way to watch it, Phantom Thread. Um, It's also a tremendous performance by Daniel Day-Lewis, as always, as always. And we like it. It's difficult to say because his performance in There Will Be Blood and Gangs of New York Is more of a powerhouse performance it's more of a tour de force and phantom thread it's far more subtle a performance and not so melodramatic is maybe the right word it's certainly not as villainous but there is the cathartic aspect and the redemption aspect and and that is why we can recommend it so strongly from a metaphysical and esoteric point of view you can you can turn it into a meditative exercise and um it'll help you it'll help you as you go through life and as you as and as your patience is tested it will help you remember your divine mother in your innermost and as you find yourself wandering in the desert or stuck wherever you may be you will remember these words and that film and that everything that happens to us is actually working for us in our favor It's just, it's an expression of the purest form of love. So embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace the infinite patience that your Divine Mother and innermost being has for you. And express it and allow it to flow through you to others and all beings. Because it is essential on the path to true faith. The path of trust the path of knowledge, the path of oneness with pure love. And that's why patience is a virtue. Because the two things, you cannot walk this path without patience. You cannot. No matter what anybody says or what anybody else does or what, or how many trips they have on psychedelics and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all lies, and it's all just, it's all a trap. <clears throat> we all know this in our hearts intuitively. We know this. Patience and love go hand in, hand in glove, hand in fist. All right, there are a few comments here. Benjamin, well, we try to, we do our best, we do our best. We certainly, we've had enough time to practice, right? We've had 40 years, 40, 48 years to practice, and we really do, we really do try. But we also fail, we fall, we, we, we have our moments. The answer is already within our eyes and surroundings, we just need to be aware of the words, symbols, and signs. The patience to receive information and guidance the knowledge that the word of god the living breathing word of god is all around us and within us if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear it so sometimes it takes great patience to receive the guidance but remember there is always a breadcrumb so that if what you're waiting for is some sort of shamadi or some whiz bang tremendous uh spiritual experience remember we went for decades without having such experiences decades and we've said this many times we've written it and we've said it many 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 times true authentic spiritual experience the the one that truly feeds us on the path literally, with manna from heaven, are the daily breadcrumbs. Give us this day our daily bread. It's in the Lord's Prayer. It's those breadcrumbs left for us every day by our Divine Mother for us to find and and eat the body of Christ, the communion, to commune with our Divine Mother, to commune with the hand of God, the works of God, the, the 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 hand of our divine mother, the divine intervention in our lives. The little serendipities, the little moments, the little messages that, that, are, that are all around us, that we overhear on the subway, or we see on a on a billboard, or we open up a book and there's a dedication written in the book, and the dedication says exactly what we needed to hear and we just happened to pick up that book, we just happened to open it and there it was waiting for us. Or you pick up another book and you just open it up and you start reading and boom, what you needed to read what you needed to hear was there in that paragraph that you decided to read. Or you find it online or in a Facebook post or in a meme. Or like today literally minutes after it came to us what the subject of tonight's live stream was, boom, this showed up. And it's been on the screen for the entire night that we've been speaking to you on the subject. It's really the only visual that we've needed, needed tonight, except for maybe the Phantom Thread poster. But this is it. And it showed up, you know, just on time. So... Here, another example, we mentioned that we were speaking to people and helping them and guiding them. We called somebody up. We called them. Out of the blue. Why? Because literally seconds before her phone rang, she was on her knees in tears. Praying, praying for a sign, praying for guidance, praying for help. Seconds later, her phone rang, and Atlas was on the line. So, you never know. Right, And if you're expecting shamadis and whiz-bang, spectacular this and spectacular that, you might be missing. You might be missing the super efforts of your Divine Mother to reach you and to give you breadcrumbs, the mana from heaven, to sustain you on your journey through the desert. So pay attention. Observe yourself. One eye in, one eye out. Roy says, the Divine Mother prepared you for what's coming inside and outside. Yes. Yes, she did. You're welcome, Melissa. It's always our pleasure. Thank you for being here Tate. There are no shortcuts. There's only the process. Every level of being. If anyone has any other comments, feel free to make them. Otherwise, we're going to say thank you for having the patience to stick it out with us all this time. And yeah, we look forward to seeing you at our next live stream or online on Facebook if, if we get to interact before then. So. Thank you all very much again for joining us, and uh, oh, take some time this evening to do some meditation because the uh, the lunar eclipse may take you may be able to take advantage of some of the cosmic shifts and changes that happen during this time. We're not an expert on astrology or the these sorts of. Uh, astronomical bodies and their influences but we understand that these shifting energies if you can take advantage of them do so spend some time in meditation and see what happens all right god bless all the best to you all you're welcome eric and uh have a have a wonderful weekend good night in peace